Connor. All right, everybody. Good morning. Welcome. Good to see you. Welcome if you're new. Good to see you if not. Um, Father, thank you for, we're, we're about to hear your word. And I pray you would make much of yourself in your word. Help us to see Christ. May the glories of the gospel be formed and be found in us today. savor you, Lord Jesus. Open our eyes to your surpassing worthiness. Help us in our prayers. Direct us. Guide our hearing as well as our speaking. And help us to have the strength and faith in the object of our faith, Christ Jesus. It's for his, for your wonderful name we pray.
Well, go ahead and have a seat, uh, kids. You can be dismissed uh, to go and, um, and, uh, and be with Matt. And uh, as they're doing that, uh, it is great to be back. Uh, it was nice to have a couple of uh, weeks to be able to just decompress from going through the season that we've gone through. And you don't realize how tired and fatigued you are uh, until uh, uh, you drive 5,000 miles, uh, which is what, uh, what, what we ended up doing. I set the odometer as I was leaving Salem, and I thought, well, I'm curious to know how long this trip is going to be. And, of course, we went through uh, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Kansas, no, Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, South Dakota. Are, are you guys tired yet? Okay, all right, you get the point. Uh, it was nice, though, to go and see this beautiful landscape uh, that uh, we don't often, uh, we're not privy to because it is so far away. Uh, but the United States is really interesting because it has such a cross-section of terrain and landscape and vistas that uh, it's refreshing to go and just be a part of that experience that is so um, vast and so storied. And I'm really excited to perhaps throw some anecdotes into uh, the message today from that because there's a lot of things that correspond and carry over. Uh, but before we get into the message, um, just like to take this time and sanctify it. Uh, so let's, uh, let's go to the Lord and uh, let's commit our hearts and our minds to him uh, through prayer. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. And we do pray for your kingdom to come, to be at work and alive in us and in our world as it already is at work in that economy that is known as, as heaven. We know your goal is to bring the two together as we see vividly at the end of the book. And in the meantime, it's to develop within us characteristics that can define us and make us suitable for living with you forever. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you patiently, lovingly, and compassionately attend to each of our lives in a way that you're wooing us back into a relationship with the Father. We're thankful that your patience and your mercy and your grace are beyond measure. And we thank you that in our shortcomings, you have this way of drawing us to the cross and taking from us our sins and enabling us to know your cleansing and your forgiveness. And Father, as we just live in the reality of your kingdom through what your Son has done, we pray that our hearts and our minds would be attuned to hearing your voice. And as we just unfold uh, the days and weeks and months ahead in this season of, of things that are really hard to define and discern, we pray that you would be our guide. And as we just take uh, this time and we think about you as our Father in heaven, that assumes that we are your children, or if there are people here who have not formally gone through the adoption process of, of entering into that family, I pray that you would work in those hearts. And I pray for us who are in that space to be open and hospitable and willing to receive anyone that uh, you are drawing in. 
We thank you, Father, that as we call you that, you are redefining our lives and our identity in your Son. And to do that, Father, we know you call us to pray the Lord's Prayer and to recognize in each component the realities that define our relationship with you, with each other, and with the world around us. So with that, would, you, would everyone here just pray with me now before the Father's throne, our Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, I'd also like to welcome everybody that's joining us online, and hopefully you'll be blessed as well and uh, in your space, uh, that God's Spirit would speak to you and minister to you uh, in, uh, in, on this first day of the week. Um, I, I mentioned earlier that I did go to South Dakota. Has anybody been to South Dakota? Okay, have you ever been to the Badlands? There's a reason why they call them the Badlands. It's not that they're bad people there, it's just that nobody can live there, it's so bad. And when we were planning our trip, we were hoping to stay in a, in a general proximity to that area. And our options were Sturgis, AKA another kind of Badlands, um, Deadwood, which doesn't sound very inspirational, um, and is very storied, or Whitewood. And so my wife chose an Airbnb in Whitewood, and I thought, well, it's all good. But she said, we'll be staying in a saloon. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I guess those are the options that you have in South Dakota. Well, thankfully, the saloon had, over the course of its um, uh, 130, 40 years existence, had turned into an Airbnb, and a very nice one at that. But the interesting thing about the saloon was the person who had spent um, some time there, uh, some time before they had died, uh, and died in a, in, in a really, a, 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 with, with notoriety, uh, perhaps a little bit infamous and famous at the same time, a person named Calamity Jane. Anybody familiar with Calamity Jane? Okay, some of you younger people are like, no. <laughs> well, if you don't do Westerns, probably haven't heard of her, but I'll just give you just a brief sketch of her life. When she was very young, she was basically um, abandoned on the frontier to fend for herself, and in that day and age, uh, that was probably a death sentence, or it meant that you're going to work for somebody very, very hard as they took you into their home. Uh, one thing, if you go to South Dakota, you'll discover that there are... A, there, there are a lot of stories that describe the experiences of people who lived there at particular times in American history. But you'll also notice that everything that uh, was settled outside of a, a few main cities, there's nothing there, which means that it is a harsh and inhospitable place uh, to spend the full year. We were there in June, so it was very pleasant, but winters can be pretty brutal. And this, this young girl who was um, 
uh, basically living in foster care, uh, tried to find in her own way a means of kind of saving herself. And not content with the harshness of becoming essentially a slave for the family that was fostering her, uh, she uh, basically entered into a, a group of, um, a regiment of soldiers dressed as a man and uh, began to just include herself in, in, in the soldiers that were navigating the discussions that were happening with the American Indians, a.k.a. we were just basically taking their land in, under our terms. As that was happening, there was a lot of stress and there was a lot of loneliness and there was a lot of um, uh, need for entertainment. And she discovered that the way that she could uh, earn her place was to tell stories. And she told story after story after story. And the more she did, the more people gathered around, even capturing the attention of um, uh, Wild Bill Hickox. I don't know if you've ever heard of him or not. But um, anyway, uh, as things evolved, dime novelists came to the West wanting to hear these stories. And then they came back to Cleveland and Buffalo and places like that and wrote about Calamity Jane and her exploits. But the reality was, uh, life was not easy for her. And she discovered that as time went on, she, um, well, she had to sell herself as a prostitute. Uh, she became an alcoholic. She had a child that was taken away from her. And she ended her life not well. Uh, eventually, people from the East said, why don't you come and join us in one of our roadside shows, and she became a spectacle. It's very disheartening to hear the story because we're thinking, oh, we get to stay in the Calamity Jane Saloon, you know, and then we hear the story and we're kind of depressed after we discover, you know, that uh, she died an alcoholic and a, and a drug addict. And I can only imagine... All of the stories that you hear like that through space and time and how that impacts the heart of God. And I have to believe that when we come into the story that we're going to look at today, God recognizes that there are conditions of the heart that need to be remedied for sure. But there are conditions around us, the environmental things, the relationships, the type of people that we we are influenced by that can also create a destiny for us that is not of our own making. And when Jesus came into the world, he knew that inside and out, there needed to be a savior. There needed to be someone who could address the problems on a global scale, while at the same time, touching very compassionately and very, very individualized uh, in his approach the lives of every person uh, that had reached out to him for grace and mercy. It's a beautiful picture, and I don't know what image you have of God the Father when you think of him, but when the writers of the four Gospels tell us all of these things about who Jesus is and what he has done, you cannot walk away unconvinced that the God that we know and worship 
loves us deeply and profoundly. And we begin to tune in to how that love unfolds and what it requires. So with that said, if you have your Bibles with you, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 8. And we're going to be closing out, really, um, a, a, a season in the storytelling of Luke as he sets things up for Jesus to go and get crucified. And he's trying to establish some things in the mind of his friend Theophilus in such a way that his faith is robust and not timid, that his confidence in the good news will carry him through a lot of challenges and a, and a, lot, of, a lot of things that will create conflict, not unlike you and I. So let's just turn to those, um, those verses and, um, and we'll read uh, uh, two accounts. And there's actually three. Luke, or, uh, Rich talked about um, the, the, the guy on the other side of the sea, the demoniac, the Gentile. And now Jesus is back in his own, uh, with his own people. And he sees people still, even though they are the covenant people of God, disconnected from God and the way of life and the community of God. And here's how it goes. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. And as Jesus went with them, so imagine them walking down the road with crowds following and people pressing in on him. He was surrounded by the crowds, and a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. And she could find no cure, though she had spent all her living on doctors. She could not be healed by anyone. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, the whole crowd is pressing against you. And Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. And when the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. All right, so just imagine for a second what's going on in her mind and also the mind of Jairus because here a synagogue ruler is saying, you know, I've got a conflict here because not everybody's on board with this Jesus thing, but I am in a desperate place. My daughter is on her deathbed, and I'm, I'm having to do a Hail Mary here. And so he, 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 he runs out to Jesus, and he says, can you heal my daughter? And Jesus responds, and I know Jairus is thinking, there are repercussions for my appeal because uh, not everybody in my synagogue is on board with what they see Jesus doing, but I don't care because when it comes to my daughter living or dying, I will do anything. 
And that's sort of the state of frantic, hoping against hope and trusting that what he has heard about Jesus will make the difference in her life. So all of a sudden, as they're walking at a very fast pace to the place where she is, this woman comes up and touches him. And as you've heard, uh, she had basically something that would make her unclean by the definition of the, of the priests in the book of Leviticus. So in a sense, she was an outcast. And there are two things in the Bible that um, are described as being an unclean state in Leviticus. And one is you can't touch a corpse, and you also can't touch a person that is menstruating. And here we are, Jesus is in the midst of some pretty interesting circumstances. And he's responding in a way that is confusing everybody. For the woman, she thought, I don't want him to see me, but I know, I know he is able. And so I'm just going to sneak my hand out through the crowd and touch him. Now, that's the vision that I have here. And it reminds me of a video that we did of our children when they were very small, and they were first learning about Christmas. And my son, uh, Christian, got a Woody doll from Toy Story. And it was the coolest looking thing. And I can see Mayim over there looking at the Woody doll and doing the math and saying, I like that Woody doll. Why didn't I get a Woody doll? And so Christian next got a plant. And he is not concerned about the Woody doll at all. He's fixated on what this plant is and what it can do. If you know him, you'll know why. But what's interesting in the video is you see some presents. You see the Woody doll. Um, you see the tree in the backdrop. But all you can see is actually a hand sneaking around to get the Woody doll, hoping that no one would see it. And it was so good to show her that video 20-some years later. Ha-ha, caught you. And her face even turned red then. It was, it, was, it was just a gotcha moment. And essentially, this woman is not expecting Jesus to be able to call her out, but yet uh, he stops and he says something. But I think Jesus knows what's going on here, and he knows that he has to do something to bring to light what his ministry and his mission and his purpose is all about. Because this woman is very timid. And I think a lot of us here can be very timid in our faith, in our prayers, in our willingness to trust that God can do what we ask. And some of us to the point where we even have some shame for things that we've done and we, we don't feel worthy. And in her mind, I have to believe that for 12 years, she's having this, 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 this problem in her, in her health. And for 12 years, she is disconnected from the community. She is isolated. She does not have the opportunity to go to uh, the potlucks and to the synagogue in a way that we all take for granted. And that isolation was really working on her. And she needed to be reconnected. And she needed to be healed. And she was desperate. But she saw something in the eyes of Jesus that gave her a boldness that um, 
was costly. Because did I tell you that when you touch a corpse or when you touch a person that's menstruating, you are unclean? Whenever Jesus was touched, his response wasn't, I know somebody unclean touched me. His response was, I know power went out from me, but I think he knew. Kind of like the video. He knew. But he wanted to call her out, not to embarrass her, but to make a point that what I have come for is for everyone, including the people that are timid in their faith. And I think Jesus wanted to bring her front and center so that she would discover a boldness. But let's continue the story because Jairus is thinking in his mind, Jesus, Jesus, that's not as important. It's been 12 years that she has been going through this. We know what's going on, and quite honestly, we can do that another time. And then, as we read the story, we find these words. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to, okay, uh, while he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and he told him, your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling the teacher. And you can kind of hear it. Yeah, it doesn't matter now. He's too late. He disappointed us. We feel like he did not do what we had hoped that he'd do. He said he would do. And you can just sense it in the air. And Jesus, listening to this, turned to Jairus and he said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Have faith. There's that word again. It seems to be something that Luke is trying to get us to understand, that faith is a vital component in God's response to your life and mine. There has to be something that we do on our part that God is expecting He's not going to do it for us. It's like a parent saying, you know what? Uh, until you're age 50, I'm going to blow your nose for you. I'm going to prepare your meal for you. You know, God's, God doesn't work that way. But he's not saying you've got to earn this thing that you need in your life. No, he's saying I'm going to help you. But you need some faith. And that's all of us. And as Jesus is saying that to Jairus, when they arrived at the house, Jesus said, everybody stay out except Peter, John, James, and the father and the mother. And the house was filled with people weeping and wailing. But he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him. I'd love to go into the detail of the fact that when you have somebody die, you have to pay for mourners to come and mourn. It's a weird custom, and it's interesting to pursue, but obviously very foreign to us. And that's essentially what Jesus is doing. He's basically calling them out and saying, just give up the drama, because the drama is in what I'm about to do. But it's even deeper than that, because the deeper drama is what is occurring in the heart of the woman and in the heart of Jairus. 
the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. And then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, My child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned, and she immediately stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what happened. Now, there's two postures of faith here that I want to explore in this story. And the first one is, there's a woman that's being described whose faith is timid, and it needs to learn to become more bold. And maybe you put yourself in those shoes and recognize, I need that. Or perhaps you're like Jarius, whose faith needs to be calmed, and it needs to be a little bit more persistent and trusting. And maybe that's where you're at right now. As Luke is sharing this story, he knows that there are going to be people like us reading this down the road. And we're going to be asking questions like, how does this connect my life and my problems with the God that I'm called to worship? Is that even possible? And you and I live in a, in a, in a world that says, Science can solve all of our problems. Healthcare can solve all of our problems. Government can solve all of our problems. But what you're finding today, as they did then, the gal had spent all of her money with doctors trying to get better, and it didn't work. On my way to the West, I stopped um, in Kirkwood, Missouri, and attended a funeral of my roommate in college. And he had worked for the Denver Post and um, got kind of disillusioned by the environment and just a lot of things about his job. And so he took the upstairs of his house and he replenished it so that it would be appropriate for an Airbnb and he had two apartments up there. And then in the evenings he would drive people who were at bars to different destinations because they needed an Airbnb or a, 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 an Uber driver to drive them. So he had an Airbnb and he had an Uber and that was kind of what he was doing. But the problem was he couldn't afford health care. And so he got sick last summer and he thought it was COVID, but he didn't have insurance. He was sort of in between and he said, I just put it off and put it off and put it off. And finally I went. And they said, you don't have COVID, you have cancer, which was very devastating for him because he couldn't access the healthcare channels that he needed or wouldn't because he was afraid it would just, you know, throw, throw him into tremendous debt. But what also had occurred in his life was there was sort of a shaking of his own faith. And part of the reasons why my friend John was in the place that he was at was he became sort of untethered from the things of God. He just kind of became disconnected. You know, one day you're thriving, and he was active in his church and singing and even preaching occasionally. And then, you know, he kind of, the habits kind of dropped off. And then when I went to see him, I, I knew that he was sort of languishing spiritually. And I felt like my purpose to go to Denver and see him was to try to help him get back 
into that vital connection where his faith and his reality would intersect once again. And even post-pandemic, I worry that there are people who don't come to church anymore because, well, we just kind of fell out of the habit. Well, we just got busy. Well, life just kind of began to redefine our path in ways that, well, we don't really have time for church anymore. And I saw that happen to my friend John. And the thing that diminished the most, I believe, was his faith. His trust in the unseen realities of the living God. And he became disconnected from a church community, and I felt like I was kind of his lifeline. There were a few other people, of course, but at the end of the day, God is in the business of reconciling us back to him. And that really is the subtext in all of these stories. Because Jesus goes across the sea and he says, Gentiles, I want to tell you the good news. And he heals a guy that's demonized and he tells the evil powers, we have overcome. And then he comes back across the sea and he confronts sickness And he tells sickness, you are no longer in charge here. And as the story is, interestingly enough, of a girl dying, so we have death really in the air, sandwiched in that story is this encounter with this gal, which is kind of the way it always is with God. There's always things going on where our lives intersect others' lives and his purposes unfold through them. And as that's happening... Jesus is getting ready to serve notice that even death cannot have the last word. What I've come to do is to take on evil, sickness, and death. Can I ask you a question? In the pandemic, and even in the season of just really coming out of it, Have the questions of evil, sickness, and death been on your heart and your mind? I know they have been on mine. And I know one of the responses is, we got to do something about it. Through all the above, government, healthcare, society, we got to fix it. And the one thing that I feel called to do is to bring our attention back to the one who is in power over it all. And Luke is making us aware of that. He's establishing for you and I a precedent that Jesus has this kind of power and all of these stories unfold that. But you may say, so what? What does that have to do with faith? Faith, you've heard me mention a few, a few weeks ago, is a bold move into an unknown future based on reliable information. We have four Gospels giving us very reliable information that this is the way it is. Now, have you ever stayed in an Airbnb? Anybody? You're like, mm-mm. Okay, 
or stayed in a comfort inn? We stayed in a comfort inn in Denver, and it was not what the picture said, okay? So we have no traffic whatsoever from Casper, Wyoming to Fort Collins, Colorado, which we stop and eat. And I'm just thinking, I told Mandy, I said, has the apocalypse happened? There's no cars on the road. Did we miss something? Yeah. Every, it's like a funnel. Everybody just went into, from Fort Collins to Denver. And so when we got back on the highway, it's dark, and there's construction, and there's cars everywhere. You ever been there? I thought I was pretty good at driving and pretty savvy and pretty confident. I prayed more prayers on that corridor between Fort Collins and Denver than I think I've ever prayed on the road in my life. Because I'm, go, I'm the slow guy going 75. Everybody else is going, I don't know what, but they should slow down. <laughs> Finally, white-knuckling it, we get to the Comfort Inn, which looks great on the outside. But when we go in, sketch city. Now, I know you guys aren't fans of marijuana, but one of the code words for marijuana is 420. And they said, you guys are in room 420. <laughs> and when I look around, I'm like, no, we're in hotel 420. And, and, and so I go in the elevator, and it just kind of stinks like something that I don't normally smell at church. And it's banging and clanging, and we go up, and we get into our room, and our room seems to be a pretty safe sanctuary from everything else. And in the morning, I get up, and I'm still stressed from the car ride the night before. And I go to eat breakfast. And I go down, and the elevator that was kind of banging and clanging, unreliably so, and my thought was, people die in elevators. <laughs> and I'm just going to bypass it all together. And I open up the door, and there's a person passed out in the hallway there, just reeking of I don't know what. And in their glazed look, I thought I was in Jesus' day whenever you see people on the roadside and stuff like that. And part of me said, I'm just a tourist and I'm just going to move on. Part of me said, I'm a Christian and I'm not sure what to do here, Lord. So I went down to get breakfast, only there's no coffee. Coffee makers, broken. Everything about what I expected was what I came to expect as it went on, if you understand all that to say that I felt like I'm, you know, I'm a clean, middle-class person touring to a comfort inn that is really catering to a different type of population. I really felt out of place. Now, I'm sure that there are people higher up on the social stratus who come around me and say, yeah, you're, you're not part of our element. But when God looks at us, he sees no differentiation except for one, that we are made in his image and his goal is to reclaim what's been stolen from him. And Jesus is doing that one person at a time. But he's telling us to do something as well and this really is part of the heart of his mission. 
He's telling us to be more bold in our faith, be more trusting that God is at work with our family, with our jobs, with everything that we worry about and lose sleep with at night. He's saying, calm down, relax. The girl's going to live. And Jairus, who's so anxious and hand-wringing, I got to believe, when he saw his daughter get up out of that bed, he's like, all of those tears that I had, all of those wailings of, I don't like what I see, Lord. I see this child languishing. It doesn't look good. And I've seen this scenario before as a pastor, as a synagogue ruler pastor, and I, I'm, I'm hurting, Lord. I am, I am just, I don't have words. Have you ever been there where you just don't even, you just are sobbing? I have to think he was astute enough to see where this was going and frustrated enough that Jesus didn't act soon enough. The Bible tells us in the Psalms that the Lord stir, stores up our tears as if in a bottle. And, you know, we think about the judgment sometime in very harsh terms, but one of the things I think will be revealed is God showing us these are the tears that I had for you. I mean, what parent wouldn't do that for their child? What father wouldn't do that for his children? Now, like all of us, we have to be accountable before him, and Jesus is kind of calling these people to account. He's saying to the woman, you're too timid, you need to be more bold. He's saying to Jairus, you're not trusting enough. You are not being persistent that I'm at work in this process. And God's saying to each of us, where's your faith? Where's your faith? Well, some of you may say, yeah, my problem is I come to church, or maybe I don't come to church, or maybe you have a spouse that doesn't come to church, because, well, you have a guilty conscience, or you have shame, or you just feel like, I've done too many bad things, or I'm just not the caliber of person that is a church person. And God has a specific message for those of us who are like that. There is a place for you. It's a place called redemption and renewal, and restoration. It's a place called healing. Because I can't help but think of Calamity Jane, abused as a child, and having to sell her body to prostitution, had lots and lots of traumas inside of there. And in some ways, we have our own issues and traumas and things that have happened to us that affect how we carry on in life. And Jesus says, I, I'm here for you. And as God is unfolding this today, he's looking at each of our connections with the Father, and he's saying, I'm in the business of restoring and reconnecting. So let's just think about that pattern for a second. 
as they come close to getting ready to get on the off-ramp. How's that? Whenever the garrison demoniac who had all those demons was set free, he was restored in his mind and he was restored to his community. People wanted to be around him. Whenever the woman was healed, she was restored back based on the rules and regulations of her community and reconciled. Twelve years disconnected. I mean, we've had a year of a pandemic, but it's so good to be able to get back together and sort of cautiously handshake, and some of us are just fist-bumping still. Some of us are like, not there yet. But isn't it good to reconnect with people. And as God is reconnecting us, as he restores us and heals us, you think about the 12 years of joy that he had with his daughter. What a beautiful gift. And I, there's been some babies lately and stuff that's been pretty cool, both in my family and, you know, people connected to the church. There's nothing like it. But to imagine that child has only got 12 years and then the joy turns into a lifetime of grieving. And Jesus said, I'm going to restore that too. Now, in this life, we will have things that disconnect us through death and through estrangement and through all kinds of conflicts that we have. But the end of the story is such that the goal through what Jesus has done is to unite all of us into one body of people, one family. And there's only one person who can do that. And it's him. And we have to surrender to him. The woman had to surrender her timidity with a newfound faith and boldness that said, I'm going to take the reliable information of the trustworthiness of Jesus and I'm going to act on my disease. And some of you may be saying, I need to make a bold move. I need to do something that gets me unstuck. And whatever that thing is, Jesus is saying, make a bold move based on the reliable information of who I am. And the only criteria is, does it bring glory to God? And the second one is, does it benefit the people around you? And you don't want to violate those things, but I say make a bold move. And as God is working in your heart and mind towards that end, he's showing us that even that person that says, if I came into the church, lightning bolts would come crashing down through the ceiling, and all you would see is the charred remains of my body because I'm that kind of a person. And Jesus is saying, you're thinking too high of yourself. Because I've got it covered. I've got it covered. And we see that, don't we? As Jesus, from chapter 9 to near the end of the book, Luke says, this guy who has power over disease, who has power over evil, who has power over death, is getting ready to die because he committed acts that remedied those three things in the lives of people, and it, met, and it was met with disapproval. 
but he was okay with that because he knew that it was what was necessary for us to come into a new reality with him after the cross and after the empty tomb. It's a tremendous act of mercy that God has done for you and I. And the cool thing is it begins now. Give us this day our daily bread, even as we pray on earth as it already is in heaven. He's already saying, I want to be a part of your life in the here and now. And I think a lot of us just say, I want to get saved so that I can hope against hope that I don't go to hell. Other of us say, well, I'm kind of already living in it a little bit, and I need somebody to rescue me. And so Jesus broke the law. He touched a corpse. Jesus became unclean. An unclean person touched him. But Jesus didn't really care because his primary aim was putting these lives back together. If you're not convinced that Jesus died for you for that purpose, then just read some more because you hear it over and over and over in the gospel story. And I'd hate for anyone to die the death of Calamity Jane at age 49 because the only person that could save her in her mind was herself. And God looks at that and he says, it doesn't have to be that way. Now I'm ending now with a call because Jesus is calling you to make a bold step. And you have to fill in that blank. And it may be like many of us, I finally did it. I finally accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I am now part of his family. And I radiate the joy of the Lord because he's alive in me now. And we want to give that to you. But some of us may have kind of been down the road so long, we're a little jaded about all of that stuff. And maybe God's saying, it is time. It is time to make a bold move into an unknown future based on the reliability of Jesus' presence in your life. He promises he will never leave us or forsake us. And my question for you is, is your prayer a prayer of desperation on the Denver highway until you finally get to the place where you go and then you're like, glad that's over? Or is it like the guy who I talked to last night who was driving his car on his vacation and, and, and had a semi hit him, sideswipe him, and then, and then drive off? And he said, I was this close to death. He said, I'm not a really religious, I'm not a terribly strong Christian, but that made me aware that God is at work in his life. You know, the funny thing was, I'll just tell you this anecdote, we were at a, we were at a gathering at a wedding. And he said, there are two things that I, that I saw on the menu that I, that I want while I'm here. And he wasn't here just for that. None of us, you know, men go to weddings because we're there for the right reason. Um, he said, I really love the things on the menu, and I'm especially looking forward to the dessert. Well, the dessert came around, and 
it wasn't what he wanted. And so I finally asked, hey, do you guys have carrot cake? And they said, nah, that, that disappeared a long time ago. And you could just see the sullen look on his face. Oh, you know, and I'm like, and that was where my friend became an alcoholic. Um, it was that sort of like, that's probably overdramatic, but he was, he was kind of sad. And I, and I kind of jokingly said, well, I've been praying that you would get your, your cake. And then, weird, a couple minutes later, from the back, they bring him this piece of cake. And he looks at me in disbelief. And he says, did you do that? I said, no, nah, I'm just the messenger. The Lord did that for you. But I think it was just one little nudge back towards the things of God that God uses in the everyday. And if we're paying careful attention, he is at work in each of your lives, sending you signals saying, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. But are you, are you bold enough to trust that? I appreciate what he said in front of a lot of people. Hey, God did this. You gave me a fist bump. I'm like, we're making progress here. So, my friend, if you're watching, this is the place. And if you're here, this is the place. At the, at the end, I'm, I'm going to be available for prayer or anything that you have on your heart or your mind. Uh, but we want to help you be a part of that family. And so I'm going to con conclude with prayer. Father, as we end our time in the Word, I, I just pray that I haven't overtaxed the attention of your people by going into this story, and I trust that the words that we've been able to process and the images that we've been able to see of your Son have had their effect. I pray, Father, that you would continue to embed in our hearts and our minds that vivid sense of your son Jesus, that he would be front and center and not on the periphery of anything that we do or anything that we struggle with, any disappointments in life or any worries or anxieties or conflicts or things that would cause us to just look away. Lord Jesus, you have the power to help us to overcome. And we are trusting you now to move us a next step forward into that space that you call us to inhabit. Whether we're being shy or whether we are not trusting and being persistent in our prayers. Father, I just pray for anyone who you are trying to claim for your kingdom. That you just release them from the captivity that is holding them back. And by the mighty hand of your son, call us into your kingdom and into your family. I just pray that all of us in this room and those online could be in that space as we conclude our time and our prayer. And this I offer to you in the mighty and strong name of Jesus. Amen.